from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got to have that and we got to do it for each other. This is The Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, May 28th. Always messes me up after a holiday week. Just gets to Friday faster. But I love hanging out with you every morning. Thanks for being here. We've got lots to discuss. Major League Baseball floating their plan, economic plan, earlier this week that involved prorated salaries but with pay cut additions. And that disagreement has been one of the most hotly debated issues in Major League Baseball's return to play proposal. The Players Association not going to just uh, submit to that, though. They reportedly will come out with their response to that, which includes more games and the full proration. We'll discuss. We heard from Max Scherzer on Twitter last night. We'll hear from Jeff Passan on that proposal as well. But also ahead in this hour, Tony Clark commenting. He is head of the Players Association commenting on baseball's chances for return this year. We also had DeMaurice Smith commenting on the NFL and how confident he feels in them playing their season as scheduled. Pete Carroll with some thoughts on that as well. And finally, Dwayne Brown. It's all ahead in this hour. Pretty jam-packed. So let's get right to your headlines. The disagreement over player salaries and financial liabilities, responsibilities of Major League Baseball's return to play proposal. That has been the issue at the center of return to play and if the baseball season will happen in 2020 uh, since these negotiations commenced last week. Major League Baseball Players Association expects to counter uh, MLB's economic proposal that was floated at the, earlier this week. Uh, with one of their own. And by the end of this week as well, they are on a kind of a, a time crunch deadline because the original dates that were floated were June for spring training 2.0 and early July for a season to commence. And according to the Players Association, according to the ESPN article, the, their proposal will include about 100 games, more than 100 games, and a guarantee of full prorated salaries for the 2020 season. Pretty stark opposition to what Major League Baseball floated, which was uh, just 81 games, so less games, and then also working on a prorated and then even then some cut down salary based on which tax bracket essentially you are in so the players at the very tippy top receiving just 20 percent of their prorated salary not much incentive for them to play players essentially pledging to ignore the league's proposal and instead offer their own up and we heard from one of the most powerful people in baseball that would be washington nationals ace max scherzer yesterday on twitter he's one of the eight players on mlbpa's executive subcommittee and he tweeted yesterday uh, here's what he wrote. After discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with Major League Baseball in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. 
That's a big sticking point here. And I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but there is deep-seated mistrust from both the both these sides, well, from the players in particular, on how revenue is reported by the owners. Uh, because they're, if you've read the current CBA, which I don't expect many people will, uh, but they're, the part about revenue sharing uh, when it comes to TV contracts, local local revenue, and how how owners report that, there's still a lot of mistrust that those aren't accurately reported because owners have a lot of incentive to not to report those uh, correctly or at least by the letter of the law in the CBA. MLB's proposal called for pay reductions on top of the players' prorated salaries, which would be scaled to reflect the number of games played as well. So if you sit out for a game or you get injured, you wouldn't be making money for that game. We talked about how Mike Trout, best player in baseball, he would be paid less than $6 million. That's down from the original $19 million plus he would see, receive with his full prorated salary. So now it seems like these two parties are as far as they've ever been in terms of discussion. The union going to come out with their own proposal later this week. So it's kind of interesting then to hear from Tony Clark. He was on uh, HBO Real Sports this week, and he said that he still has a really high confidence level of having it in MLB season. He was asked to rank it on a scale of one to 10. I am in the B plus range. I was a a, a, an A minus B plus student, so I'll, I'll land there. But I, but I'll tell you, it's, it's really not that simple. Uh, you know, even even today, got an update as to how uh, you know we don't know everything we we want to know and how things are continuing to change. But I do remain optimistic that we'll get back out there and play. I object to the the scale of it. It's one to ten, but he said B plus, uh, which is seems kind of in contrast to where the players are feeling at least right now. But Tony Clark mentioning on HBO Real Sports that uh, in his mind, they are close to getting back to baseball. I think we're getting there. Uh, I think what we've seen over the course of, of even the last few weeks, uh, heck, even the last few days, uh, has suggested a, a lot of progress has been made. Uh, watching the things open up in the fashion that they have gives us some hope that uh, here in the not too distant future, we can get back to, to doing what our guys want to do. They were also asked, uh, DeMaury Smith, which we'll hear from in a second, if they felt that health and safety was a priority for all the leagues right now. Our players are the ones taking the risks at the end of the day. And so, yes, we 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 do believe that there is an interest uh, by the league uh, in regards to health and safety. It's going to come down to whether to what extent uh, everyone involved is comfortable with what's put in place and, and that we can uh, indeed protect the integrity of, of our players, their families and the game. Uh, Tony Clark also asked, is there a provision for players who might want to opt out and decide not to play? Having that option is important. Uh, we play every day and therefore expose ourselves in one fashion or another every day. So uh, when you take all of that against the backdrop of those underlying health issues or those personal concerns, having the option to make that decision for yourself and your family is something that has to be considered. DeMarie Smith also on this call and asked about the NFL and how they currently feel about the possibility of returning. Let's answer that health and safety question first. Does he feel that health and safety is a priority uh, for NFL and uh, how they're going about their season right now? You know, I'm rarely in a in a position to say a lot of great things about the league <laughs> at times, but I will say that we have worked well together. And I do think that the league understands their obligations as the employer. Um, and, and whether that changes later on or not, I know that's going to be our priority. 
He was asked to rank his confidence level on NFL playing in 2020. He was seemingly a little less optimistic than Tony Clark was about Major League Baseball. I'm, I'm going to go with a, um, you know, probably a six, seven. But, you know, look, a lot depends on um, what happens with the other sports. And, and to say that we aren't looking at what's going to be happening in basketball and baseball, um, and we're not looking at how they work through these things, we would, I'd be lying to you if we're not. So how about if I go with six, seven on a curve? How about locally? Are they dealing with things? Pete Carroll on the latest episode of Flying Coach Podcast on The Ringer, which is a great podcast. You should check it out, listen to it. It's um, St- Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr, and they are raising money for COVID-19 relief, which also incredible, taking time right now to do that. But Pete Carroll explaining to Steve how they've handled phase one of the OTAs and how everything's working out virtually. We're just finishing week four of what we would refer to in the old off-season format as phase one. That's the first phase when guys can come in and work out and uh, work out with the strength and conditioning coaches and meet with the coaches, but no football uh, on the field. And that lasts for three weeks. We are now in week four of that. We've extended that phase one, two more weeks to the end of the month, and then we'll see what happens from there. Um, but So what we're doing now is, is we're doing all of the football meetings virtually and as we do that, um, you know, we're we're taking our guys along and I mean, we're trying to do everything we can to make it as real and, and uh, as, as kind of compatible for the, the learning that needs to take place and hopes that, you know, the transference of that information to the field will happen when, when we get there. Pete asked about a physical component right now. He said they're not overseeing the players' workout routines right now and also mentioned that still the voluntary portion of the offseason, but that players have been really great about participating uh, staff still not allowed in the facility according to Pete and players uh, scattered over the country in home cities right now but Pete Carroll also asked if the league has communicated with them right now says they aren't really uh, telling them right now it seems like they have a plan though the NFL is, is working really carefully to not take any false steps here you know they're, they're just doing a really good job I think of taking in all the information and watching everything that's going on and following the regulations and all of the format that's happening so that when we finally do make a call, uh, you know, they'll make a decisive call and we'll move forward. But we don't know. We're not talking to the league. They're not telling us much right now because I think they're still holding too. I know that they're working really diligently to figure it out, um, but it's not time yet to kind of unveil what's what's next. So really we're, we, we got the word that we're going two more weeks of this phase one format to finish the month and then we'll figure out from there you know when they tell us what's going on so and a little bit sounds a little different sounds like you guys have some some options in there that that you can exercise we don't have much of anything that we can do uh at this point the league's pretty pretty uniformed coming up on the blitz Dwayne Brown one of the unequivocal leaders on the offense not named Russell Wilson he spoke with the media yesterday how is he after dealing with two injuries in 2019 how does he feel about a new offensive line, and protecting Russell Wilson this season. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines studio. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a lockdown left tackle for sure. I mean, he, he that helps a big difference. I and mean, I think that in terms of his presence, his leadership, his confidence, and he's as good as it gets. Welcome back to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, May 28th. Russell Wilson talking about Dwayne Brown there. And certainly his play on the field has been noticed, but his presence in the locker room as well. One of the leaders on this team. 
uh, since coming here from Houston, entering his 13th NFL season right now and his fourth with the Seahawks. He'll turn 35 in August. He spoke with media yesterday and said he's been really focused on mobility this offseason. One thing that I've worked on this offseason is just mobility, just being more flexible. You know, I've, a lot through my career, I've just kind of focused on, you know, speed, strength, uh, quickness, things like that. And, and you know, I've really been big on mobility this year, just being more flexible, working on my hips more, more body maintenance, being more proactive um, about my body than in years past. You know, I'm, I work very hard. I work, work out a lot. I work out, you know, five days a week. And so in doing that, you know, especially the older you get, you have to match that with the same level of, uh, of like physical therapy work and, and body maintenance, you know, to, to, to you know, not get your muscles too tight and things like that. So that's been a big point of emphasis for me. There's been a lot of turnover on the offensive line this year. A lot of new names entering that locker room. Dwayne Brown on the O-line, he said it's about chemistry and continuity. So you have to build that. major factor is just chemistry, you know, and, and, and continuity. You know, we lost a, a big chunk of our starting pieces uh, this past offseason. So, or this offseason. So, um, you know, we got some new faces. We got some guys that have been in the system. We've got some guys that haven't been there. So uh, just getting to learn each other, you know, learning the terminology, communication, you know, just learning how we do everything here. Uh, all of that stuff is important. What is his impression so far of the new O-linemen? I think they're great, man. I think they're very excited to be here. I think they really want to be successful and, and compete and, and, um, and produce, you know. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, all those guys are different personalities, you know, which I, I love. Um, they got, you know, a lot of experience, um, you know, play a lot of ball, uh, and they're just, you know, they've been very, just questioning a lot, you know, just kind of what to expect from the, from the team, kind of what to expect, you know, in our division, things like that, you know, and so, you know, they, they've been great so far, you know, I'm looking forward to working with them. Dwayne Brown mentioning that all they've done so far is just try to get to know each other in these virtual meetings because of course, social distancing, preventing uh, a lot of things right now. And building that chemistry, building that continuity right now virtually is definitely a challenge. Brown also dealt with two injuries back in 2019. Biceps injury that cost him two games and then a minor knee surgery uh, that caused him to miss the final two regular season games as well as the team's first playoff game. But he said he hasn't experienced any setbacks with either injuries. Uh, Dwayne Brown on battling those last year. Um, the bicep was, you know, the first couple of weeks, obviously, when I missed, missed two games from it and when I came back, um, after this first or second game, uh, I didn't really have many issues with it. You know, it did, you know, having a maintenance hit throughout the year as well as my knee, that was, you know, that was tough. You know, I, I, I never really have, had to go through that, um, you know, daily maintenance on just nagging injuries. Um, but, you know, uh, once I got through the first couple of games with it, I didn't really notice it much and it didn't restrict me, uh, from, you know, being strong or being able to be effective. So, yeah, but the first first few weeks were difficult. Brown noting he didn't have surgery on the bicep. It's been fine and that his knee is doing great. This has been a typical off season for him at this point. Of course, you know, virtual everything notwithstanding. Uh, Dwayne Brown also on how he feels about going through all of this. And is he apprehensive about playing through the pandemic? Where I am right now, um, you know, I, I think I think we'll, we, we, we'll be OK playing. Um, I don't know about, you know, packed arenas or anything like that. You know, that, 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 that's things like that could get a little bit risky, but, 
or very risky. But uh, you know, I think I think we 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 could find a way right now. Brown also asked, uh, "What does COVID testing look like when football begins?" Uh, doesn't know at this point. You know, everyone I've talked to, obviously, this is a big part of our lives and something that we enjoy dearly, and we want to get back to doing. With that being said, you know, it's a it's a very weird time we're in, and we don't really know what's what's the next few months are going to look like uh, nationwide. So, you know, you have to take as many precautions as possible. But for us, you know, there's our livelihood. It's something that we we love to do. So, and and this is something that the nation wants to be able to enjoy again so it's a you know we don't know we don't know man um you know whenever we are back i'm sure you know there'll be as many procedures taking place as possible to try to you know get us tested regularly and, and keep us safe but you know i don't i don't really know what to expect always like hearing from Dwayne Brown. It's just one of the nicest human beings that you'll ever meet. Up next on The Blitz, uh, two big-name guests joining 710 yesterday. We'll dig through the best from them. Adam Schefter on Jadevian Clowney, the latest on him, as well as Antonio Brown, their chances of playing in Seattle. Plus, Dean Blandino joining 710 yesterday to discuss some of the NFL rule changes or potential rule changes next, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, May 28th. Talked a little bit earlier in this hour about the possibility of NFL returning to play or returning to play without fans. Seems an almost certainty at this point, but he, hearing also DeMaurice Smith speak on HBO Sports leader of the Players Association, his confidence level in a return to play in general was about a six or a seven earlier this week. How will things look if and when they do return? Adam Schefter joining Tom, Jake and Stacy yesterday. I guess we want to get the latest on what the NFL's plans are to get everybody back in their team facilities right now. Like what's what are the first priorities that the NFL has right now? Well, I think the first priority is health and safety, period, right? And so that's why you're seeing people going back into the facilities in a very slow way where you're not seeing coaches and players go back into the building by and large at this point in time, and you'd like to see them build up for it. Um, But, again, there's time, and and it doesn't matter now. It matters in August, I would say. Um, And so, to me, that's that's what they're gearing up towards, and they're going to go – slow and steady here and don't have to rush the process at all. And uh, we'll see how it all shakes out here. Yeah, Adam, I think one of the benefits that they have is they, you know, we're watching what's going on with baseball and basketball and and NHL to, you know, just to kind of observe maybe some of the mistakes that they end up making. Is the NFL, do you think they're maybe taking cues from some of the other sports here since they have time? Well, they, they have to, I mean, it's, it's wise, right? The NFL if it could pick a time for a pandemic to hit other than never, would pick it basically when it unfolded in early March, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the NFL was able to have free agency not in the way that it normally does, but it had free agency. It had the draft not in the way it does, but it did. And the same thing with the off season. Now it gets to sit back and watch how basketball and hockey and baseball handle their seasons and what they do and what they don't do. And the league is the last, the NFL is the last one that has to make some of these big decisions. So 
again, it, it's in an advantageous spot in terms of timing. Uh, but the league is going to have some big decisions come upon it very quickly, and it's going to have to make some real big decisions. Adam, we, there were some interesting rumors and speculation going around that Russell Wilson has been advocating for Antonio Brown to be signed to the Seahawks. What is the realistic potential of that happening, and what does that even look like in terms of what his availability would be like during the season? Well, you know, I, I, I think that may be old. Um, and I say that because if you go back to, we had a headline in Sunday Countdown, if you just Google it, uh, we, we, we reported on Russell Wilson lobbying for Antonio Brown in November. I mean, that, that, that's not exactly new. And then they wound up signing Josh Gordon at that time instead. So Russell Wilson you know, has always been an Antonio Brown fan, and nothing has changed. But Antonio Brown is, is in the same situation he's been in, which is um, we still don't have a decision from the league. The league isn't rushing to make a ruling on Antonio Brown when it's got other issues that are uh, more important it believes, than Antonio Brown's future. And so I'm sure Russell Wilson would like to have Antonio Brown. He wanted him last last season, as was documented. But it's now the end of May. Have the Seahawks made a move on him yet? That was Adam Schefter on with Tom Jake and Stacey. You can listen to that full interview on 710sports.com. Also joining the station yesterday, Bob David Moore. That would be Dean Blandino. And you remember Dean Blandino probably, like I do, from trying to explain what a catch is for several, several years as VP of NFL of officiating, but now doing work on broadcast for, I believe, Fox at this point, joining yesterday the show to chat about some of the playing rule proposals that the league is weighing this year, including the option, the alternative to the onside kick uh, that would give a scoring option a better chance, a lot of people think, from the 4th and 15th. So here was Dean Blandino. Well, we get a chance to talk a little more football with a man who knows a thing or two about the rules. He's, he used to be the head of officiating for the NFL. He's with us now. The one, the only Dean Blandino is here. Dean, how are you? I'm good. How are you? We're, we're doing well. Hopefully everybody is uh, healthy and safe with you and yours, uh, wherever yeah. you're located currently. And, and uh, we'll get back to the business of football soon. But uh, some of these rule changes that are going to be proposed, I want to get your take on. We heard, we were talking earlier today about the fact that they nixed the idea of the sky judge before it even got in front of people to vote. And it's being portrayed by some as, oh, man, there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts to this. They weren't ready. How, how difficult is it? Is it, is it legit to say, man, there's just too much that goes into this. We're rushing this. It, it, what are your thoughts on the, the, the application of a sky judge at the NFL level? Yeah, I, you know, it, I'm not I'm not surprised that they they pulled it because I don't think that they're ready. Um, I do think there's been time, uh, as you think about last year during the March meetings, the sky judge concept that was something the coaches talked about in, in at length, and they were 32-0 in favor of some kind of a concept. Um, ultimately, they 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 went away from that and landed on pass interference review. We kind of saw how that played out. Um, so I think, you know, obviously with what's going on in the world today, it's, it's a unique, a unique time and, and they felt like they didn't have, you know, the ability to get people together and start to teach and train. But again, I do think this is coming at some point. I think we'll probably have some kind of preseason experiment, but I do think at some point in the near future, you're going to see some form of a sky judging in the NFL. 
Hey, Dean, I, I really appreciate that you were a, a stand-up comedian at one point because uh, having a sense of humor, I, I can't think of a, a job where you would need it more than, than being an official. Yeah. And I, I, I got a really quick story because I, I have a lot of very fond memories of the officials in the NFL. I played middle linebacker. There's a guy, I don't know if you ever came across him, his name's Bob Wagner. He wore number 100, yeah, and he was always, like, you know, right next to me, and sometimes I'd kind of have to push him back, you know, because he was in there. But, you know, I think everybody thinks that the, that the officials are evil, and I always, as a player, just loved those guys. I, I had this interaction with him one time where I was screaming and yelling because I was getting held. Finally, there was, like, this little time, uh, 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 like a timeout, TV timeout, and he comes up and he's like, Dave, so uh, what's going on? What's the problem? And I said, well, uh, this guy's taking me down like a wrestler, man. It's it's ridiculous. And he's like, well, you know, I'll, I'll watch out for it. And I said, well, you better hurry up because I'm starting to like it. And then he says to me, oh, come on, Dave, you're hurting me now. I mean, that was kind of the typical interaction of of guys. I mean, I always felt like the officials were there. I do complain about officiating and some of the calls, but... To me, it's more about the NFL loading too many rules on the on the officials, and not that they're doing the wrong thing, but it's more the NFL has just kind of overloaded them with too many things to watch. Do you do you feel that way ever? I I, I do. I agree. I think it's it's harder to officiate now than it's ever been. You you think about think about the rules and how many rules we've added over the years and then not and not not for you know a lot of these rules are player safety related and that's important um certainly but we've changed rules we've added rules and the scrutiny is so much greater today and these officials they're actually better than they've ever been they're more prepared there's more access to video there's more access to technology the fitness is better, all the diet, nutrition, all of the stuff we know today that we didn't know maybe 30 years ago. But the scrutiny is so much greater. And, and like you said, it has, we have complicated things. And, and I remember, I remember Bill Parcells talking to him 2015 season. He called me, um, just out of the blue and, and we'd had some controversial calls and it was more of just like a pep talk. And he just said, listen, you know, well, I told my players, reduce the variables and, and that will improve performance. And, and we've got to do that with officiating. We've got to reduce some of these variables, and that will lead to greater consistency and better performance. And and I'm, I'm happy that we're not changing a whole bunch of rules this year. It's a very small list. And I think that's a positive. Me too, or uh, especially not evolving the catch rule anymore. What is the catch? Establish oneself as a runner, make a move common to the game, a football move, all those fun uh, football football definitions changing over the years. But Dean Blandino, his full interview available at 710sports.com because they dig into the individual rule proposal changes. And Dean has some some thoughts on those. Up next on the Blitz, though, it's time for the hot list. The latest on college football's potential return. Some conferences say they're okay if all of their schools aren't able to come back at the same time. I'll explain next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for... The Hot List. Holy mackerel. The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes. What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go. 
Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield is coming off a mercurial, let's just say rocky second year in the NFL, and said yesterday he's going to be taking a different approach leading up to the 2020 season. I just I have a different approach to this year. Everybody that has been interviewed in our team has kind of you know hit the nail on the head over and over uh, about you know it's just time to work, it's time to do our thing instead of talking about it. First media thing I've done uh, just because. There's no need to be talking about it. It's just time to go do it. Uh, and right now, it's you know kind of moving in silence, which is fine with me. That's how I used to do it before getting on a bigger stage. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to get back to those roots. You know, don't talk about it. Be about it. I'm all for that. You just have to sort of talk about not talking about it and being about it right there. But Baker Mayfield with a new approach for 2020. Andy Reid, Chiefs head coach, uh, speaking yesterday as well, and he spoke about what it's like with the virtual offseason and quarantine. He said, well, he feels for the first-year head coaches. Um, I feel bad for the teams that are that are new, these guys that are coming in the league that are great football coaches uh, that and, and getting to work with these great players don't have that opportunity to get on the field. He also talked about continuity being huge, and we've heard that in the past. We heard it from Brian Schottenheimer recently on the Pick 6 podcast with Will Brinson about how continuity on a, on a coaching staff is huge in these virtual off-season times. Yeah, well, first of all, Brett Veach did a phenomenal job of re-signing a bunch of our guys, and so that, that helps. Um, and then we kept the came, same coaching staff that we had last year, so there's not a ton of change going on. From that standpoint, uh, it's, it's better than having all new. I, that's a great challenge. I mean, these guys are great coaches, so they'll, they'll rise up to it. And I think the NFL will still be in great hands uh, with, with a great product. We got to hear from Pete Carroll on what it's like going through this whole process on the latest episode of the Flying Coach podcast with Steve Kerr. He explained to Steve how they've handled phase one of the OTAs virtually. We're just finishing week four of what we would refer to in the old offseason format as phase one. That's the first phase when guys can come in and work out and uh, work out with the strength and conditioning coaches and meet with the coaches, but no football uh, on the field. And that lasts for three weeks. We are now in week four of that. We've extended that phase one, two more weeks to the end of the month, and then we'll see what happens from there. Um, but, so what we're doing now is, is we're doing all of the football meetings virtually. And as we do that, um, you know, we're, we're taking our guys along and I mean, we're trying to do everything we can to make it as real and, and uh, is, is kind of compatible for the, the learning that needs to take place and hopes that, you know, the transference of that information to the field will happen when, when we get there. Pete Carroll saying the Seahawks not overseeing players as they do their workout routines right now. The, that's not the physical aspect right now. They're still in the voluntary portion of the offseason. But we've been, it's been extensive, you know, and we've been trying to be as creative as we can and and uh, the players have been fantastic about it. This, it's all voluntary. You know, this is not a, a mandatory time. And so they're volunteering their time to come on in. So we're working four days a week, basically, basically with those guys and a lot more with the rookies now that they're in. And uh, so we're just answering questions and, you know, we're doing everything we can think of to, to keep them engaged. Requiring some creativity, of course. Uh, Pete Carroll saying also staff still not allowed in their facility. Everybody's the same. Uh, the league's really, really intent on making things competitively the same. And so uh, they're real strict about that. And, and uh, we have to check in if we have to drop by the building for something. You know, we have to tell them why we're going and the whole thing. So it's uh, governed very, very tightly, which is fine. And uh, our players are all over the country. You know, they're not, there's some here, but most of them are all over the place and, and still at home. On communication that they've received from the NFL right now. The NFL is, is working really carefully to not 
take any false steps here. You know, they're, they're just doing a really good job, I think, of taking in all the information and watching everything that's going on and following the regulations and all of the format that's happening so that when we finally do make a call, uh, you know, they'll make a decisive call and we'll move forward. But we don't know. We're not talking to the league. They're not telling us much right now because I think they're still holding too. I know that they're working really diligently to figure it out. Um, but it's not time yet to kind of unveil what's what's next. So really, we're, we we got the word that we're going two more weeks of this phase one format to finish the month. And then we'll figure out from there you know, when they tell us what's going on. So and a little bit sounds a little different. Sounds like you guys have some some options in there that, that you can exercise. We don't have much of anything that we can do uh, at this point. The league's pretty, pretty uniform. Coach Pete also talking about if NBA and MLB can figure out how to play, the NFL will be able to watch and learn from their example. If basketball can get started first, you guys have much smaller teams and num- smaller numbers to work with, to c- at least work to learn how to control you know, your environment. Uh, with baseball, come, if maybe baseball comes after that, you, know, you guys got 15 players, 12, 15 players, and they've got 25 players or whatever, and, and, and a... a, a substantial support group but you get to football now it's 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 90 at camp it'll be you know 65 players anyway then we have a whole host of players well we'll learn from you guys and how you guys you know proceed and all that uh it'll be a real real interesting exercise we'll just try to all figure it out as we go and do it really well and and uh, there's a lot of great brains on it so we should figure it out as well as it can be done Pete worried about playing with no fans in the stands without that crowd noise. You know, one thing I wouldn't worry about at all for the people that are waiting and the fans and all, you know, how will the players react and how hard will they play? If you put 10 of your guys in a, in a gymnasium and threw a basketball in there and said, go play for you, got two hours to play, well, they're going to play their butt off. And they're going to go for it the whole time. Our guys will do the same. It doesn't matter whether the fans are there in that regard because they're just the competition of it all. It'll change the, the experience drastically. But the players are still going to play really hard, and they're going to compete, and they're going to battle, and they'll fight and claw and scratch every every bit, whether the fans are there or not. Uh, but the environment will be so much different. But uh, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what happens. I'd say Seattle has a leg up in that category with how they approach everything, always compete, uh, and how they take that approach even to team meetings, to practice. So playing for or needing motivation, I wouldn't say was uh, is on their to do list. We did have some positive news in the world of sports when the NHL announced this week that they moved a huge step closer to returning and with a 24-team Stanley Cup playoff format, so skipping the end of the regular season and moving straight to the playoffs, the best part of hockey. Gary Bettman, NHL commissioner, joining uh, joining SportsCenter yesterday, and he talked about what the reaction was from around the league. Depending on what team you either are affiliated with or you root for, you can find something in the overall plan that you would prefer be done differently. But overall, the reaction is that this has been fair. Uh, This makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it was important to our fans. We've been hearing it overwhelmingly that uh, we complete the season. And it was equally important to our players. And so we had an incredibly collaborative, cooperative effort to get to this point, focusing on all of the issues that had to be addressed. The plan talked about two hub cities, still unnamed as of now, but creating two hub cities, one for the East and one for the West, to host these games. And one thing that hasn't been talked about so much are a lot of the health and safety protocols, at least the in-depth level of health and safety protocols. And Gary Bettman was asked, how will they handle uh, if someone tests positive for the coronavirus? That's going to be in the judgment of the medical uh, people that are giving us advice. What we're hearing, and, and there are a lot of medical experts that we consult and weigh in with, 
we're hearing that if you have one test, you quarantine that player and you're not done. If there's multiple tests and an outbreak, that's a different story. But that's a judgment that the doctors are going to be telling us uh, and the and the and the health uh, uh, people from the community that we're in in terms of what will be appropriate. That won't be a call that we'll make. We're going to leave that to the experts. How about college football? We talk about it every day, and it seems like we hear something different every day because that is the conundrum facing a lot of these conferences and a lot of these individual schools. We heard from Larry Scott recently, who was on Paul Feinbaum's show and saying he feels confident that the Pac-12 will be ready to go on time and as a unit, as a as a conference together. Well, the AAC or ACC commissioner, excuse me, uh, Mike Oresco yesterday on Paul Feinbaum speaking, saying they're prepared to play without some schools. I think that if you're ready to go and, and you have health and safety protocols in place that you think are going to work, it's probably better to get started on time because, you know, who knows what's going to happen later on. But there is some flexibility in the schedule. In addition, there are some bye weeks and things of that nature. And it may be, Paul, that not everybody plays the same number of games. And yes, we're planning for potential contingencies. Certainly, they said, well, what if uh, nine of your schools can go, 10 can go, one can't. One is in a hot spot and just can't play. Our, our feeling, our ADs and our, and our president's feeling was one school or two schools wouldn't want to hold the others back. We, we would be likely to play with nine or ten. We haven't made final decision yet, but that's one of the issues that's going to come up. Also said conference-only play is not a good option for college football, wanting them to be able to uh, play their non-conference games as well. Huge disagreement over player salaries and the financial liabilities of Major League Baseball's return-to-play proposal. That has been most hotly debated issue and trying to get baseball back in 2020 since negotiations commenced between the Players Association and the owners. Uh, earlier this week, we heard Major League Baseball float a plan that included prorated salaries for uh, the half season, essentially, that they proposed to play. But not only that, but pay cuts based on a sliding scale, based on a marginal pay scale. So the players uh, who are paid the most would have the biggest chunk cut from their salaries, uh, from their prorated salaries even. And the Players Association being vocal, at least through via uh, one of their eight players on the MLBPA's executive subcommittee, that would be Washington Nationals ace Max Scherzer. He tweeted Wednesday that the significant pay cuts in the league's proposal would not be accepted. Here's exactly what he wrote on Twitter last night after discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players. There's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. We heard from Jeff Passan yesterday, uh, working around the clock on this, but putting in a great article out on ESPN.com and talked about how Scherzer's comments carry a lot of weight with players. Max Scherzer is one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a Cy Young Award winner multiple times. This is a guy who has gravitas and is not just a great player, but is an incredibly intelligent person too. And to have him coming out as strident as he was, as forceful as he was with this message, I think says a lot about the position of the players right now. They're mad. 
They're mad at the offer that Major League Baseball made, and they're not going to sit here and say, oh, we'll be conciliatory, we'll come and meet you in the middle. No. They want to go back to the player or to Major League Baseball and say, we're not going to accept this. Major League Baseball players, uh, the association expected to counter the MLB's economic proposal by the end of this week with a plan that includes more than 100 games, so more games to be played, and a guarantee of full pro-rated salaries for the 2020 season. So not only saying uh, we want our full salaries, but we want to play more games, thus we end up wanting more money to make more. They have the ability to make more money. So it will be interesting to see where discussions go from here. Because remember, they're still working on a bit of a timeline if they want to get started by July. If your plan is to play 100 games, also, you're definitely motivated to start sooner. Jeff Passan on the sense of urgency. There is a level of urgency that should exist, and there is a level of urgency that does exist. And the two should be one and the same. They have not been, though. Remember, Major League Baseball originally was going to go to the Players Association with an economic proposal more than two weeks ago. They scuttled that and eventually came around to this one, which landed with a thud with the players. If they want to get back to spring training in the middle of June, as Major League Baseball's plan outlines, and if they want to have opening day in the first week of July, on the 4th of July perhaps, they're going to have to get something done very quickly. And there is a dark temptation to believe that this thing could go sideways. This is the first proposal. When we get to the third and fourth, maybe then, if there's still issues, there'll be problems. MLB has proposed playing in front of no fans and games starting first week in July, but that timeline could end up being pushed back if labor discussions stretch on and you can't get to that spring training 2.0 starting in mid-June. It was interesting then to hear Tony Clark say his confidence level of having an MLB season is a B-plus earlier this week. That's what was on HBO Real Sports, the leader of the Players Association, uh, seemingly having a more optimistic view than a lot of people. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.